Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Results-wise, it may not have been a great start, but I'm calling it now that this is going to turn very quickly for Brighton and it won't be long until we're seeing Sassuolo levels of goals from De Zerbi and his team. I don't trust left-footed penalty. The Newcastle project is developing at probably a pace that is quicker than, than anticipated because they are right now a very good Premier League side and, and the only way the, the trajectory that club is going to go on is, is only one way and that's up. At certain clubs fans hold a massive influence over the way the club goes and I think you'd say Leeds is one of those and the fans have turned there. In my mind, in my opinion, he has been Arsenal's best player this season consistently over the course of the whole campaign. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell and this is the Weekend Preview. I'm joined by George Ellick, Bet365 Steve Free and the Athletic's Tim Spears. Coming up, we'll look ahead to Graham Potter's return to Brighton League leaders Arsenal take on Nottingham Forest whilst trying to claim top spots on Manchester City who travel to Leicester City at Saturday lunchtime. Plus there's Newcastle v Villa and who's under more pressure to turn things round at Anfield as Liverpool face Leeds. But before we get into all of that, this week has seen Unai Emre's return to the Premier League confirmed. We'll look ahead to Villa's visit to Newcastle later on. But if you could pick one former Premier League manager to return to the league, who would you guys pick? And Tim, I'm going to come to you first. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think we need a bit more straight talking in the Premier League and there's, there's no one who talks straighter than Mick McCarthy. Uh, it's been far, too, been far too long for a bit of that Yorkshire gruffness. Um, well, there is a job going at Wolves, Tim. No one wants that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he's not very good. He's not not great at keeping teams in the Premier League. So if he did come back, it wouldn't be for long. But yeah, I, I do miss his dour, straight talking. Steve, TP. Obviously, I'd love to see that cap and that tracksuit and those white trainers. No, I, I'm going to go for a, a. I would like to see how Sir Alex Ferguson would do in this in this current Premier League, and just to see. Of course, we we always wax lyrical about the great man and his managerial record. I just wouldn't mind seeing him in his pomp, in his pomp, how he would do in the current Premier League. I was going to say this was turning into as the Stoke job just come up with the managers that we're that we're talking about here. <laughs> um, George, who are you going for? Got to be Sam Aladici, isn't it? Uh, surely. Oh God, we really are. It really is. Oh. Like, this is like the stereotypical <laughs> lineup of managers. I think the one. Well, I think with Allardyce though, it's. It's probably going to happen at some point, isn't it? It might be this season, it might be next season. I reckon someone is going to panic and hit the panic button, which is Big Sam. England manager after... Pints uh, of wine, um, that touchline demeanour. You know, we know there are no long ball teams in the in the Premier League now, which probably means it wouldn't be the worst strategy to become one. All in on Big Sam, please. Stinks of wolves, Tim. Coming back home to Dudley. I could, I could just see it now. They're not that desperate yet, Steve. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the way you three have answered, I should say Steve Bruce, but I'm not going to... I'm going to say Arsene Wenger. I was always disappointed that he never went and tried somewhere else after Arsenal. I wouldn't mind Arsene Wenger coming back, but the three of you should be should be ashamed with some of that some of those answers there that that were coming out. Really disappointed, Tim. What do you make of Unai Emre to Villa then? Yeah, I, th- I think on the face of it, it ticks a lot of boxes. 
and it's a good appointment. I really like the way that they've moved so swiftly. Looking at Wolves down the road in the mess they've created there, albeit you know sort of different circumstances. But I think they're getting a proven winner, obviously at a very high level, but also someone who's who's got a point to prove in England. You know, after what happened with Arsenal, he's clearly been, I think, yearning to come back for a little while. You know, he had a little dalliance with a Newcastle job. It's a risk for him, but as we saw last week. It's not going to take, it shouldn't take too much to get this Villa team playing and winning and moving up the table. Plus the money he'll have available, you know, if, if, if he stays for a few transfer windows, you know, there's a chance to build long term and improve in the short term. So I think it's a really smart appointment and, and massive kudos to Villa, you know, despite their league position for being able to attract such a high calibre manager. Yeah, I think also as as well, if you, if you look at it, he's taken clubs of that size in Spain and made them very, very competitive. I think I think that's probably one of the big things, Steve. Yeah, I was speaking to Graham Hunter, who who's obviously a Spanish expert about him, about about what Emery will bring, and he will say just how intense all the training is and what he does, or the uh, or the detail that he has as well. So if they haven't been putting it in at Bodymore Heath over the last few months, they're sure going to be over the next few months as well. You know, once he gets his uh, his foot in the door. And as a as a as a non Villa fan, I, I think I'm quite jealous of of the appointment. To be perfectly honest with you, I think it's a, it's a good appointment, and uh, Villa. Unfortunately for me, I'm going to clearly, I think, going to be on the up this season. George, in some ways, I know Villa are playing Newcastle this weekend, but Unai Emre won't be in the dugout. One of the things that pleases me as, as a Villa fan is that Newcastle have done an awful lot right in the last 12 months. Eddie Howe's done a tremendous job, but actually their original choice was Unai Emre to, to move that club forward. So in some ways, that fills me with confidence. Yeah, I can see why it would. I mean, I also think the flip side of that is if you offered the Newcastle board and the Newcastle fans to swap now, I think there would be a, a very big resounding no. You know, I think they've fallen on their feet in terms of in terms of that. But I, I like the appointment as well. As as you kind of said, I think with managerial appointments, horses for courses is often kind of overlooked. And I think the fact that you've got someone whose blueprint of success in the past has been not necessarily having the best players in the league, but still taking clubs, playing a certain way, and you know a similar level to where Villa aspire to be. You know, if Villa are in a couple of seasons' time finishing around the top six, maybe getting into Europe a couple of times and having those tilts at the Conference League or the Europa League, that's exactly where you want to be and where Villa fans expect their team to be to be playing. So, yeah, I think it's a good appointment. I think it's a, a bit of a a coup, and I don't say that in terms of the size of Villa and the, the manager they'd be able to attract. It's purely just in terms of Villa are a side who are struggling at the moment who don't have a particularly high league position whose stamp on on European football over the last two decades is is minimal to nil taking on a manager whose um, standing within European football is is higher than Villa's uh, and taking him out of a job where he was doing a good job anyway so no disrespect by saying it's a coup but I think it's impressive that Villa managed to pull it off no, I understand completely what you mean. I think Villa fans as well are very excited by this appointment. I was perhaps a little bit concerned by how maybe certain sections of the fan base would react, but I've seen universal joy at the fact that Unai Emre is coming in as Aston Villa manager. So hopefully some exciting times ahead. Let's look ahead now to the weekend then and Brighton and Hove Albion against Chelsea, which is a Saturday 3pm kickoff. I think the TV companies will probably be a little bit upset now that this wasn't chosen, bearing in mind what has happened with Graham Potter leaving Brighton for Chelsea earlier on in the season. Potter's unbeaten in nine at Chelsea in all competitions. He's won six and drawn three. Up against his former side Brighton, who've yet to win in five under De Zerbe, drawn two and lost three. Tim, does that tell the, the full story of their reign so far? If you're a believer in XG, then then no. 
Chelsea. I, I, I don't know what the splits are pre and post these appointments, but Chelsea are overperforming XG more than anyone in the league this season, and Brighton are underperforming almost as much as anybody. Um, I think West Ham top that particular table. So West Ham, Brighton, ninth and tenth at the moment. You'd expect, you know, if that levels out over the season, that, that they will both push up. And I think that's reflected in how we look at both teams. Really, both both slightly underperforming. Certainly in in Brighton's case. Performances are good, you know, and they still haven't won yet under Deserby, but performances ha- have been good. We, we expected and, and will expect them to score more and concede more under him. You know, that's 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 the way his career's gone. <clears throat> well, they've got <laughs> one part of that is true so far. Uh, they are conceding more, but they, have, they haven't got the other part right yet. And I do wonder if that changes until he can dip into the market because... You know, I think as we say every week on this podcast, Danny Welbeck still hasn't scored yet. Trossard's their top scorer on six. Obviously, half of those was was his uh, hat trick at Anfield. McAllister's on four. Pascal Gross on three. No one else has got more than one. So that's an issue. Can he get them scoring, or does it need, does he need to go into the market? And can that be done in January? You know that there are issues there, and he's got a bit of work to do to turn it around. Because yeah, they will they will start slipping down the table pretty rapidly unless they can he can solve that goal scoring conundrum sooner rather than later. Steve, if you're a Brighton fan, you're going to be frustrated because it did feel like this season might be that season where we're not talking about Brighton being so inefficient in front of goal. They started to score some goals and, and under Potter, they were looking really free-flowing and going well and then they've they've lost their manager. And in fairness, as, as Tim alluded to, they've brought in a manager who is renowned for his team scoring goals. But their fixtures have been difficult, haven't they? They've, they've not had the best fixtures since Deserby's come in. I guess, I guess the Forest game will be the one they look back in and think that should have been the one where it all clicked really. Yeah, but they absolutely hammered Forest, didn't they? The, yeah. you know, their XG was, was was nearly two, and as, as Tim has touched upon, Danny Welbeck. I know we, we don't look at him for goals, but it's he'll be frustrated because he brings so much more to the team. But the fact that he's had so many chances and and failed to score. But I think if you're a Brighton fan and you deserve be, I think you look at these performances that you've seen. Clearly, the Liverpool game, we were all neutrals, especially we're all quite excited by what it could bring to the Premier League by scoring three, and then it dipped a little bit. You know, the odd goal against Spurs, two against Brentford. But I think we saw at Manchester City, you know, it, it wasn't total domination by Manchester City at all. There were a number of chances, I think, where Brighton could have got back into, you know, into the game and, and they caused Manchester City a, a lot of problems. So clearly, you know, this game is big for them. And from a bookmaking point of view, you know, we still think that they might struggle to finish top half, I would say. But, you know, they weren't frequently in the top half under, under Graham Potter, were they? In the first two seasons, they were down in the depths of it, but they were the top half last season. But they they have got it to do from an odds point of view. They're four to eleven to finish in the top half, so we are expecting them to to do that. And whereas top six is is five to one, so it's a bit of a push. But I mean, do Brighton fans expect a a top six challenge? I, I don't think, think so. I, I think Brighton fans, for the most part, you know, firstly because of the owner Tony Bloom, they're probably more au fait with the kind of data side of things or the underlying number side of things than a lot of fan bases. And I think they understand that. You know, the numbers have been good so far, but taking, I mean, I've got some of the numbers, which I'll go through in a second, but taking the, the numbers away from it, you know, XG is only like a, a reflection of what we normally witness with our eyes. And and anyone who's watched any of Brighton under, under Deserby will know that the results have been at odds with, with the performances. I think one big issue is Danny Welbeck is so important to the way that they play. You know, his running of the lines is brilliant. His, his ability to hold the ball up, he's a very clever player. And I think the form of, of Trossard and Gross is, is in part down to playing in behind Welbeck. But he is incredibly wasteful in front of goal. You know, this season, 
he's had uh, 3.57 expected goals. He hasn't scored yet. So that is three and a half goals worth that he has managed to to miss in terms of chances. And that is reflected in a few other players as well. Solly Marsh, 2.78, yet to score. Lewis Dunk, 0.92, yet to score. Webster, 0.7, yet to score. When you mash all these together, it's a hell of a lot of goals that they're not getting. And, and a lot of those have come in the in the game since Deserby came in. They created 2.16 at Brentford and didn't score a goal. 2.10 against Forest and didn't score. And when you watch Brighton play, it's incredibly exciting and they are getting the ball forward a lot. You know, this is a new manager who hasn't had a window yet. We were led to believe that Dennis Undav would be the, the clinical striker that they so needed, but he's not getting much game time yet. Maybe it's only a matter of time until he does. Results-wise, it may not have been a great start, but I'm calling it now that this is going to turn very quickly for Brighton and it won't be long until we're seeing Sassuolo levels of goals from De Zerbi and his team. Steve, on to Chelsea. Into the last 16 of the Champions League. Grand Potter's adapted to Champions League football relatively straightforwardly. They're only two points off Spurs now, fifth at the moment. What are the latest odds looking like for them? Yeah, they're not certainties, Dan. Well, we don't think so anywhere there. They are odds on to finish in the top four at, at, at four to five. Top six, we think, is a given at, at, at one to eight. But they are 33 to one for the title. So we see them as, as outsiders and Clearly, you know, Potter's now got his feet under the table, the nine unbeaten. The tinkering, of course, which he's renowned for, and, and, and the, in, the in-game formation changes, of course. We've, you know, I've noticed that Sterling seems to be playing wing-back a lot more and, and, and Pulisic as well, but it's been working to, to good effect at the moment as well. Clearly, he changed it last week against Manchester United, didn't it, with, yeah, with Kovacic coming on. They were massively under the pump, so it's always good from a tactical point of view to watch him in action, but nine unbeaten. Top four, yeah, probably, but uh, a title challenge, definitely not, we think. Interesting stuff. Right then, Arsenal against Forest, which is the Sunday two o'clock kickoff. George, Arsenal's eight-game winning run in all competitions ended at Southampton on Sunday. Slight alarm bells, maybe, that they, they didn't get over the line against Southampton? I'm going to be careful with what I say here about Arsenal because uh, I'm, I'm not going to say it was coming because the performance levels have been very high, but it's it's pretty rare for a team to go from being not even a top four team to to just winning every single game in the Premier League. You know, there, there aren't easy games. Southampton away from home isn't a game that suddenly becomes uh, an easy three points off the back of, of, of a good run of 10, of 10 games. Um, there were... Maybe some signs that the the performance levels were starting to dip. You know, I think the Arsenal fans will probably admit that they were a bit fortunate to get all three points at Leeds in a game where Leeds created plenty of chances to to at least get a point, uh, having gone 1-0 down. So maybe there's a, a slight sign of, you know, a turn of fortunes. They are two away games in the Premier League, so it's not easy. It's now going to be the measure of them if they are able to to kind of get their performance levels back up to where they were. There was no denying that Arsenal were, were running incredibly hot to start the season and it was always going to be difficult to maintain that. So the proof of whether or not they are genuine title challenges is, is going to is going to become in this run now. It just shows how far Arsenal have come um, that a, a point at St Mary's is now seen as some kind of a... Um, a reason to doubt their credentials uh, for the for the campaign. Tim Gabriel Jesus five goals against the expected goals of six point one. He underperformed his xG in four of five full seasons at Manchester City. Yet he overperformed in assists in every season, and he's already got three assists from an expected assist of two. But as he's playing every week as a number nine for Arsenal, who create chances. You're a little bit disappointed with his goal output so far. This should we be expecting a little bit more in front of goal from him? Um, I mean, we certainly wouldn't have said that a few weeks ago. I think, like the team, 
he's just reflected them not reverting to the mean but as as George says you know their run was never going to continue as it was I've seen a few people calling for Eddie Nketiah to be, to be given a start I'm, I'm not sure about that to be honest I think Jesus brings a lot more to the team than Nketiah would I just feel like Arsenal's schedule is beginning to catch up with them a little bit as we've seen with quite a few teams really I mean it shouldn't be underestimated just how ridiculously hectic these last few weeks have been and the next two weeks will continue to be you know they rode the crest of this incredible momentum that they had in the opening weeks I know we're looking at this week's weekend's games, but I can't wait for next week when they get to Chelsea away. That's going to be an absolute cracker. And then they've got Wolves away for for three points before the World Cup. I guess, you know, Granit Xhaka's taken up the, the clinical mantle from um, from Jesus. Fantastic finish last week against Southampton. Sign of a very, very confident player. Arsenal will be fine. It's a shame for the league if they can't keep up their current run because, you know, we, we were getting a bit of a title race there. And if the they can't keep it. that going, the league does need it. You know, we don't want it to be over before the World Cup. Yeah, on Xhaka, Steve... I imagine he used to lose Bet365 a fair bit of money on, on bookings. Now suddenly, maybe he's losing him on being the first goal scorer. That's, that's a couple of, of early goals for him. Yeah, he seems to be thriving. I even had a text from George yesterday asking for a price on Jacker to be the PFA Player of the Year. I, so I, I, I checked it wasn't April the 1st and it wasn't. <laughs> so then I, uh, yeah, so I, I, I added it on site. Clearly, this is a, this is a player who's... Uh, I, I, need who's to just, I need to justify my text now, don't I? It's I mean, not you can't, a terrible you can't shout, just... in all honesty. He's... Oh, I, will, I will come to you in a minute, Thank don't you. worry. I've just teased you in there. Clearly, he's, he's having a happy aware. Jesus has been has been struggling recently in front of goal. Xhaka, it's just a, such a, a small sample, but he's, he's, he's flourishing and he's, he's, a, he's clearly playing with full of confidence as well. He's got a World Cup coming as well. I'm just interested from a... We're getting very close to the World Cup now. Do players automatically protect themselves, do we think? Because I know Xhaka kind of likes to tackle. Are players going into these challenges now thinking, hang on, we've got the World Cup in three weeks? Or, or do they just go out there totally engrossed in the game and not automatically pull out of challenges? But I'm sure Xhaka won't do that. But he's, he's 150 to 1, George, I think, to, to win the, the Golden Ball in, uh, in Qatar as well. Oh, I wouldn't take that one, even at 150 to 1. So you can take the double there, George, if you want, just to absolutely wipe us what, out. What's the, PF, what's the PFA price? 66. Okay. And I'm sure you're going to justify that. But Haaland, Haaland is extremely short favourite, obviously. Yeah, I mean, my point is if, if Arsenal win the league, then the chances are... A 7-1 to, one to win the league. be an Arsenal player. Yeah. So 7-1 to win the league. That means uh, the price on... 66-1, to one, it means the price on Xhaka to win PFA Player of the Year if they win the league, it's 8-1. to one. So it's a 7-1, to 8-1 to one double. In my mind, if Arsenal win the league, Xhaka is a shorter than an 8-1 to one chance to win the PFA Player of the Year because, in my mind, in my opinion, he has been Arsenal's best player this season consistently over the course of the whole campaign. You know, we've seen flashes from Jesus, we've seen flashes from Saka and Martinelli who've been superb, Odegaard as well. But in terms of actual consistent performances, playing in this new hybrid kind of... 8-10 role where he's being pushed forward parties now the holding midfielder he plays in that left-hand channel getting into the into the box and scoring goals and just the narrative around this guy who was booed off the pitch so recently who was the villain and the poster boy for such a disappointing period of underachievement at Arsenal suddenly being the consistent performer and the goal scorer um, in a new position for Arsenal I think it, it ticks a lot of boxes so I'm not sure I would back Arsenal to win the league at 7-1 to one. But if you think they are value at that price, then there are definitely worse bets than, than Granite to win the, uh, the the big goal. Would his peers vote for him to be PFA? They'd vote for Jesus, wouldn't they? Would they? I mean, if... if I think it's going to be difficult. If Haaland scores 50 goals and Manchester City comes second still, it'd still be very difficult to think that he won't win it. I'd agree. I'd agree. And then you've got, you know, we've still got the Haaland injury to come as well, so... 
Well, he's fatigued currently, isn't he? He's fatigued, might not play. Just to get back to what Steve was saying a second, I thought he made a really good point about about players not wanting to get injured before the World Cup. We're definitely seeing that already and we're going to see more of it in the next few weeks. I mean, you know, when you look at some of the players like Diogo Jota, who's out, Rhys James might be out, Varane picked up that injury last week, Richarlison, Pedro Neto's out of the tournament. You know, guys are going to be seeing these injuries happening and thinking, I do not want that to be me. You know, potentially got the biggest tournament of my whole life in three weeks' time. Yes, you you are you are going to back out of challenges. You you aren't going to risk yourself. The fact that none of the big six teams are playing each other on the last weekend before the World Cup just just says it all. Really, it just adds to the utter farce and and lunacy that we're only going to sort of see more of as this um, as these next few months unfold. I, th- I think as well, anyone you know, any Chelsea or United player that was on the pitch or any Premier League footballer who watched match today and saw. Rafael Varane in in tears walking off the pitch thinking that his World Cup dream might be over that, that's going to have an impact just on a human level you know anyone who's expecting to go to Qatar is going to see that and think to themselves A feel incredibly sorry and, and sympathetic with Varane who it looks like may still be okay uh, possibly to, to at least go to Qatar but I, it's hard to imagine that someone who is expecting to go and play in a World Cup is going to see those scenes and not think to themselves well I need to kind of protect myself to make sure that's not me next weekend In a week or two's time you've got that EFL Cup round of third round matches which is 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 going to be absolutely ludicrous you know no, no, nobody's going to be playing their first teams in that and then and then the last weekend before the world cup we're just going to see um an exaggeration of what we've what we've seen already the players not risking themselves players not going into challenges yes quick word on forest who got their first winning 10 against liverpool only one defeat in the last four now tim their midfield of kiate Froiler and yates is a midfield three now is Cooper finding quite a workman-like formula for survival? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was that massive sliding doors moment a few weeks ago when when they opened up to try and get a win at Leicester, lost 4-0, and everybody expected that Steve Cooper would be sacked that week. And massive credit for once, for the ownership, for being, for being patient, for Marinakis, for sticking with him, for giving a new contract. It already looks like it's a very smart decision. I mean, what 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 he had to do was drop one of his forward players because you know you, you can't have four forward-minded thinking players who aren't really going to track back and defend very well on the pitch when you're not in Forest and you're in relegation scrap. So it was Brennan Johnson who missed out last week. I suspect we'll see a bit of rotation. Really, it must have been a really difficult decision for Steve Cooper. We know what Lingard can do. They've spent so much money on Morgan Gibbs White and Brennan Johnson was you know obviously a key player for them last season. So. It's Johnson who didn't start against Liverpool, but like I said, we will see some rotation and you've just got to pay massive tribute to Steve Cooper and the club for look like they've slowly turned the corner and made them harder to beat, which is what they had to do. Up next, we'll look ahead to Man City's visit to Leicester as they look to leapfrog Arsenal at the top of the table. Hello, it's Kate Borsay, Lindsay Hooper and Hayley McQueen here, otherwise known as The Offside Rule. We have a very special show. It's been 10 years of The Offside Rule. If you've been enjoying it over the last decade, you can get some extra insight. Yes, we have a really good chat about how the industry has changed in the 10 years and chat as well about some of the highs of recording a podcast as an only female trio in the football world and some of the lows as well. So join us for fun. We're also joined by Harriet Drudge and Laura Williamson from The Athletic. So check it out. That's The Offside Rule. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the weekend preview here on the Athletic Football Podcast and we're going to now look at Leicester City against Manchester City which is the Saturday lunchtime game. Manchester City have scored two or more goals in nine of 11 Premier League matches this season. Only failed to do so against Aston Villa and Liverpool. Erling Haaland has 17 goals in 11 Premier League games scoring at a rate of 1.72 per 90. Currently on course to reach 58 Premier League goals. The Premier League record is 34. Andy Cole and Alan Shearer both got that in 42 game seasons. Mohamed Salah got 32 in 38 in 2017-2018. But what I want to know, panel, is who holds the English League top flight record for most goals in the season? Does anyone just know that straight away? Yeah, I think yeah, I think as old school Dixie as I Dean? am, I think yeah, I'd say Dixie Dean. Yeah, Steve, you, you saw him live a few times, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I got his shirt actually. You know, like Dan Dan has his like all his Villa shirts behind him. I've got a really old Dixie Dean shirt behind me. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get it signed by the great man. Do you know how many goals he scored? Sixty. Yeah, that's why we shouldn't let Steve write the uh, the trivia <laughs> section to this podcast. I think it's uh... <laughs> not good trivia. I didn't know the answer. Feeling so smug, sitting here saying, yeah, 60. You know, just just at least give it a few seconds. Steve, he played for five clubs. Who did he play for? Oh, uh, well, can I just say Everton, Everton Reserves. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, barring Everton, admittedly, uh, Arsenal. No, well, I, I, Everton I, uh, picked I him know. up from, uh, from Tranmere and then he went to Notts County. Brief spell at Sligo Rovers where he scored 10 and 7. And then finished up at Hurst in 1940. That's when you saw him, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. At the end of his career, unfortunately. George isn't even reading that. He just knows. Yeah. He, he just knows. He didn't even yeah. read that as we, as we were doing. It's just facts that he has yeah. in his brain. A fact I have in my brain is that Leicester have won two games in a row. George, do we expect this good form to continue for, for Leicester? They, they kind of feel, you feel like they're too good to, to be in the relegation zone, really, and they should start to move up the league a little bit now. You might feel that way. <laughs> I'm still not sure. I mean, clearly in terms of the, the players they've got at their disposal, they are too good to be where they are. But um, I think there are big alarm bells about both performances, even in though they've won their last two games 6-0, um, where purely on like a footballing level, they've taken 10 shots in two games and they have scored six goals. Now, that is probably not sustainable. It, there's probably a bit of regression to the mean after a disappointing start to the season. But defensively, they've been fairly poor. Uh, you know, Wolves, who are not a side who we know are a particularly good attacking side at the moment. Yes, game state dictates that they were behind and therefore were, were probably more likely to be attacking. But Wolves had, what was it, 21 shots to, to Leicester's five on, on the day. And um, they were massively outshot by Leeds as well in, in the 2-0 win at the King Power. So 
I definitely don't think they're, they're out of the woods. I think what we've seen is they've got some quality players who are able to produce moments of magic. You know, I think Yuri Tielemans' first goal was as good a kind of long-range strike as you're going to see. Uh, absolute postage stamp in the top left-hand corner, so sweetly struck as well. And in the same way that Arsenal hosting Forest um, is a great time for them to bounce back from a draw. For Leicester, this is an absolute disaster. Good results breed confidence. There's no denying that. I think two good results, even if the performances haven't been great, can often lead to a turnaround of fortunes and performances themselves. But to have to then um, host Manchester City in the form that they're in, um, I, I think if, if Leicester don't massively improve from where they've been, even in those last two wins, I think City will absolutely trounce them. Yeah, defensively, Steve, there's always question marks over Leicester and obviously they're coming up against the best team in, in the Premier League, one of the best teams in, in the world. Leicester have picked up a few decent results against Manchester City over the last few years, but even if Man City were to not have Haaland, you still feel like they'd have too much for Leicester this weekend? Yeah, and you know I'm the founder member of the Johnny Evans fan club and, and, and it seems to have coincided. Obviously, I think he was there for the uh, the game against Forest, but they've you know they've kicked on. Now we're getting the clean sheets. Um, and we're not talking about Danny Ward, the goalkeeper anymore, are we? Making, no. um, making mistakes. So a massive confidence booster for him, I would say, um, with that defensive front of him. Vote Faz has, has, has come in and, and impressed a few people. Admittedly, they were very fortunate. Uh, Molly you last week, your five shots, four goals on target. James Madison, the, the fantasy football uh, family, absolutely love him, don't they? He's, he's in a lot of teams. 30 shots this season, 12 on target, average distance of 22 yards, six goals from an XG of 1.9. It won't continue, you wouldn't have thought, with that, with that kind of data. But if Haaland does play, uh, just from an odds point of view, you know he's now only 13-2 to two now to score 50 or more. So he, he's, he's, he's not a massive price to be to be challenging Dixie Dean's record from all those years. And we know he's resting at the World Cup as well. And I know we touched at the beginning, Manchester City and, and all the goals that they've scored. They're only 15 to 8 to break the Premier League goal-scoring record, which was uh, 106 from there, from back in 2018. So, massive test for Leicester. But they at least they go in there full of confidence now. But we all clearly, we know what a, what a tough game it's going to be for them against the... Uh, against the champions. Yeah, Tim, there was a good piece in the Athletic midweek from Sam Lee about Kevin De Bruyne and Pep, Pep said after the game that De Bruyne is not at his top level basically at the moment but even his medium level is pretty good, isn't it? I mean, he's such a phenomenal player but frightening to think that actually he isn't even in top form at the moment and they're still doing so well. Yeah, I think you can say the same for quite a few Man City players and um, Haaland's goals have, I wouldn't say Papered over the cracks, but 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 obviously been obviously been the the biggest influence in their season so far. Um, there's another interesting piece on the Athletic this week saying how they've put together a bit of a recovery plan to keep Erling Haaland fit, which of course is something we we perhaps forget that you know he has had injury problems in in recent years and tends to average about sort of thirty games a season. Man City to be fine as long as they don't get a penalty. That record is is astonishing for the yeah. players of the technical brilliance that they have. I think Guardiola had had the numbers on the tip of his tongue after twenty five of eighty, wasn't it? Yeah, it's amazing, Tim. Absolutely astonishing. But why is Mares allowed to take penalties? I don't understand. I don't understand that. Don't understand that. As soon Sterling as was I... Sterling was the same, wasn't he? As well, Mares has got a he, terrible he record, though. Close. I think. Yeah. Really bad. Yeah, he still goes. You up. know what it is? I don't trust left-footed penalty takers. Sounds sounds prejudiced to me. Stuart Pearce. I was going to say Stuart <laughs> Pearce. Yeah. Well, no, I'm I'm left footed myself. I, I, admittedly, I did play back in the day. I don't know if you know. But, um, <laughs> Dixie. Um, yeah, Dixie. Yeah. Just get Rodri to but come up I and have... hit it as hard as he can. Julian Dix style. Edison. Get Edison to take. They're ten to one yeah. to. They're 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 ten to one to miss a penalty at uh, at the weekend, which uh, 
some people might think it's a fair price, but yeah, I want to see Edison. I want to see Edison. Let's talk about one. Pep's kind of he's kind of flirted with it just a yeah. little bit, hasn't he? Yeah. So it's interesting how many players, quality players, they've got that we haven't seen try. Like you'd think someone like Cancelo as well, who can put the ball on a yeah. on a sixpence. Players like yeah. that, but you know, Riyad Mahrez obviously has. Uh, He's really good in training. Aguero used to miss quite a yeah. few as yeah, well, didn't yeah. he? Aguero, Gundogan, Jesus. I mean, the thing is, Haaland, when fit, is going to play, what, 80% of minutes? Yeah. So. And they'll take the pens. Yeah. But he's left-footed, so... Oh, did you see that pen against uh, last he's weekend? Okay so far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's got a decent record. I think uh, 15 of the 17 he's scored, I think. Yeah, he's yeah. done all right so far with pens for Manchester City, Haaland. But yeah, in general, absolutely astonishing record that they have. Haaland! This is regime for Manchester City. Let's look now at Newcastle against Aston Villa, which is a Saturday 3pm game. And Villa revitalised under Aaron Danks last weekend against Brentford. But of course, as we discussed earlier, Unai Emre is now appointed. Because he is such a trophy specialist, Steve, have you got any odds on, on Villa to win a cup this season? Well, they're going to win the uh, European Cup again next season. It's coming, it's coming. The it's long League. overdue. Yeah, I don't know whether you know George Villa won the European Cup. I don't know whether you know. Tim or no. Oh, yeah. They don't like to mention it. They don't like to mention it. Yeah, we're two to one down to finish in the top half uh, this season and 12 to one to win the trophy. 1996, wasn't it? Last time Villa won a major trophy. Was that uh, Leeds? Leeds 3 0. Yeah. In the League Cup. Savo. Savo. On the score sheet. Yeah, good times. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. So, yeah, as we don't as mind we've that price upon, at twelve to one. I mean, given I would anticipate you're going to be, you should be pretty safe fairly soon. It's tens now. You, you started you talking think, about you it. You think Emery, given his um, his penchant for, <laughs> for 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 minor silverware, you might take both the domestic cups quite. Such a thing as minor silverware, George. <laughs> no such thing as minor silverware. I'm not having that. Any silverware will Hold do. Yeah. My club won the Milk Cup in 1986. Yeah, it, oh, it yeah. would. Uh, it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if he went quite hard. And there's no denying he got the quality to go far in, 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 the, in the cups. So, yeah. Yeah. I've got Manchester United in the next round of the Carabao Cup, though, and Villa's record against Manchester Easy. United is not brilliant. You, you played them enough in the cups, haven't you? Yeah, I feel like we're drawing against them every single year. <laughs> Tim, that turnaround last week, though, from Villa, I mean, I was, I was at the game. I thought they might be a bit better. Now Steven Gerrard, the shackles had, had been lifted from from his reign. But, geez, 15 minutes in, 3 nil up, it was absolutely incredible. It just shows you the, the simplicity sometimes, you know, of what was going wrong. A couple of tactical changes. I think Dundonka's, was it Dundonka's first start? And he ends up, he ends up getting a stand innovation, a switch to four two three one. My former colleague at the Express and Star, Matt Mayer, tweeted, uh, I think it's, was it Buendia, Bailey and Ings played together for the first time in terms of starting? The Grealish three. Mm. Which, yeah. So they spent, what, 80 million on them last summer. It's the first, I know Bailey had his injury problems, but for the first time for them to three to start, sounds a bit crazy, really. So, yeah, Aaron Danks, he's taking charge this weekend, isn't he? Which was a shame, really, because because he'll want to preserve that sort of 4-0, 100% record. Absolutely, um incredible day for him and yeah I guess it just it just shows in a microcosm the issues they had under Gerard, that it wasn't too complicated to fix that he was being too stubborn with his yeah. formation and his personnel and now Villa all of a sudden looked like a decent team again which we, which we all knew they were Newcastle George they're looking they're looking consistent you know they could be genuine top four contenders here and, and again this is something I think that could have been levelled at Steven Gerrard he didn't improve the players that were already there yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, you know, we've—I think we've been pretty consistent this season um, on this show by saying that Newcastle are, you know, that how deserves credit and, and the performances they're putting in are, are of a high level. And there's there's no doubt in my mind now. I think the the two old men at Tottenham 
is a bit of a, a marker now where it's, that is them kind of turning up to the party and saying, right, we are we are good enough to challenge it for the top six. I, I definitely wouldn't bet against them doing so. I think if they are in situ, you know, if they are in, in the kind of position they're in now come January, um, it's going to make it much easier to sell the dream to the, the calibre of player that they're going to be looking to bring in by saying that we are four or five very good months away from at least getting into the Europa League here. The Newcastle project is developing at probably a pace that is quicker than, than anticipated because they are right now a very good Premier League side and, and the only way the, the trajectory that club is going to go on is, is only one way and that's up. Steve, Eddie Howe, you know, we talked about Potter earlier. Eddie Howe, the job he's done at Newcastle, that's not first choice as well as, as we said earlier. That's absolutely tremendous. You know, what a great coach. Just to see the improvement on those players, Eddie Howe has done a phenomenal job. Yeah. Would you, if England came calling, Dan, after... After the World after the World Cup, Southgate, whatever, would Eddie Howe be, be top of their list? I, I mean, Eddie Howe wouldn't take the job, would he? No, he, you probably, he might be top of the list, but he wouldn't go. I think there will become a time, as well as Eddie Howe has done, where Newcastle will want to go out and probably get one of the perceived, whoever that's going to be, whether it's in a year's time or five years' time, want to go out and get someone who's perceived to be one of the top three or four managers in the world, even as just like a status thing. So I do wonder if Howe, if offered the England job, would accept that his you know it's probably unlikely that he will be I think Newcastle will win a Premier League title in the next 10 years do I think Eddie Howe will be manager when they do that probably not so it might be harder for him to turn down than say Graham Potter at Chelsea where you know it does feel like long term he is probably the man that they want as in terms of the project to lead it lead it long term where do we think this Newcastle side will finish this season guys I've got a market on site and their finishing position so Georgie I'll start with you sixth okay uh, seven or two, Dan. Seventh, yeah, seventh or lower his odds on actually. That's that's eight to eleven, uh, Tim. I think they could be top six. Yeah, I watched them at Spurs last week, and the, the, they played with such maturity to win that game. They saw it out really, really well. Didn't sit deep. Didn't invite any pressure on. And without Isaac and Sat Maximan as well, you know, they're two they're mm. two most dangerous attacking players. Eddie Howe said it was it was their best performance since he since he took over. Yeah, showing real maturity, playing like a big team. And I'll say I'll, I'll say six because it's just so competitive ahead of them. But but six six will be six. Who's will be dropping out, Tim? United. United are going to finish seventh. Ooh. That's yeah. bold, that is a bold. We have some bold claims on this podcast. I think Spurs, including Odison Edouard to be top goal scorer of the Premier League. I think that's right up there. <laughs> Manchester United finish seventh this time. Hundred to one tip. Hundred fifty to one tip. Dan, don't you know? <laughs> so you honestly think they'll finish ahead of Manchester United? I think it'll be pretty tight. It's going to be very, very tight. I don't think there'll be many points separated between uh, second and sort of sixth, seventh this year. I really don't. Once Man City inevitably run away with it. Um, United have just got too many problems for me, particularly uh, goal scoring, the Ronaldo issue. Yeah. Newcastle look good. No, no, I, I agree with you, but I still don't think I'd be confident enough to have them replacing one of the big six in there. I'm not, I'm not sure, but fair play, Jack. That is a brave call. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. It's swung in by Robertson, it's headed in! And it's headed in by Darwin Nunez! Final game we're going to look at then is Liverpool v Leeds, which is at the bizarre time of Saturday 7.45. Liverpool lost again last weekend, already lost more this season in losing three games than they did in the entirety of last season in the Premier League, where they lost two. It's just a bit broken, isn't it, George? Injuries galore, which is not helping at all. But just when you think they've kind of sorted themselves out, they go and lose 1-0 to Forest. Yeah, it's hard to put your finger on what is going wrong there at the moment. Uh, I watched the game on Wednesday night where they went to Ajax and, and got a 3-0 win. Um, anyone who was busy and saw, sees the scoreline will think it was, a, it was a, a cosy win. It was anything but. Ajax were by far the better side up until Liverpool scored the first goal. And then their quality showed in terms of scoring three very good goals. With Nunez also missing a, a pretty simple chance would have made it four. But again, it wasn't a the kind of dominant Liverpool performance we've been used to seeing under Jurgen Klopp when things are going well. You know, Ajax will be kicking themselves that they weren't at least a goal ahead before before Liverpool went ahead. And again, after the big win over Man City to regress to a loss against Forest again where Forest I don't think we could really begrudge them the three points again it's hard to put your finger on why things aren't going particularly well there are so many players who are just out of form I think Trent is still woefully short of where he normally is um, from an attacking standpoint he made a very good block actually against Ajax as well I think Robertson or Simicast on that left hand side whoever plays is nowhere near the levels that Robertson set for himself in previous seasons yeah it's hard I think the injuries and, and the, the inability to field a regular 11 uh, is also difficult um, credit to Jordan Henderson though for, for an unbelievable assist um, for the for the outside of his boot for Salah but um, yeah I think at this stage of the season you look at Arsenal who have had five or six players playing out of their skin in the early point of the season taking their, their performance level up to a whole new level at Liverpool you've got so many playing beneath where we expect them to be having thought that the City game is going to be the beginning of, of a turnaround I don't think that the, the two performances since um, have, have suggested that that's the case so annoyed, Steve, when you was a Liverpool fan. You get that result against Manchester City and then you go and lose next week to, to Forest. That that must be so disappointing. It's their away form. They're, yeah. they're the only side in the top half not to win away from home. And you, and you think of Liverpool, you think that's that's quite incredible, really. I mean, they've been to Forest, Everton, Fulham. You'd, you'd expect them to, a club of, of Liverpool stature, to to get results there. So they're at home, as, as we often say, Fortress Anfield. They're 15-8 to eight to remain unbeaten at Anfield this season. As a bookmaker, we don't think it's totally broken. They're still four to six to finish in the top four. So we're, we're you know, we're still 
something that's going to happen. It's not happening for him at the moment, for which George has uh, touched upon. But fortunately for them, it's Leeds United this weekend, and they absolutely love playing Leeds United. You should host the show, Steve, because that's how I was going to segue <laughs> in, into Leeds. A kind home fixture now for, for them, which I think is probably what, what all Liverpool fans will want. Leeds are on the longest losing run in the Premier League. They've lost four in a row and have no win since beating Chelsea in August. That game's going to feel an awful long time ago to the Leeds fans now. That's a winless run of eight games. Tim, Jesse Marsh in a little bit of trouble, isn't he? He's probably the latest manager now that's going to be getting the heat, the latest manager to possibly be getting the sack. I think he's in a lot of trouble. At certain clubs, fans hold a massive influence over the way the club goes. And I think you'd say Leeds is one of those and the fans have turned now for the last couple of games in a row. How on earth does he turn that round? You know, he was supposed to be a bit of a sort of continuity appointment carrying on from Bielsa, but... As I was reading Phil Hayes' excellent piece, where he's done a couple this week, early this week, you know, they, they run a lot like Bielsa's team did, but apart from that, there were very, very few similarities. And there's just no connection between defence and midfield and midfield and attack. They obviously miss Calvin Phillips and Rafinha. They miss Bamford, who, who's, who's just not playing very much at the moment with his continual injury problems. And it's very hard to see how he can turn it around. You know, he sort of insisted last week that they were still sort of united. Unless he's talking about the team's actual name, then I, I don't agree with them at all, to be honest, because there's there's not much unity there, certainly, certainly from the stands. And if they lose this weekend, it may be the final straw. Yeah, I, look at their, I looked at their transfer policy in the summer, George, and I thought it was a very Red Bull way of operating, wasn't it? The, the players that they bought in, all good players, all, all players that are highly, highly rated young players, but... There's a, there's a distinct lack of Premier League experience in there and when you're losing the logs of Calvin Phillips and losing the logs of Rafinha who was such a good player for them actually when you look at it probably always going to be a little bit of a struggle yeah yes I mean I think Jesse March is, is, is kind of falling foul to the fate of so many managers before him where a lot of the performances aren't good enough and they're being punished for that. And then when they do put in a decent performance, that they don't get their just rewards. You know, I've already mentioned both games in this podcast already where they were incredibly un- unfortunate to get beaten by Arsenal at home. And then they went to Leicester and again, they d- wouldn't have felt like they d- were deserving of losing that even if they only got going once they were, you know, they were 2-0 down. So when you're, but when you're playing well and losing games and when you're playing badly and losing games, there's only one thing that's going to that's gonna come at the end of it. Long-term I reckon we will look back on Leeds' summer as being a pretty good one. I think Rocker has certainly come in and been really impressive, as has Adams, Sinistiera, Aronson. You know, these are players who I anticipate will be a big part of any success that Leeds will have in the future. But it just might not be Jesse Marsh who's the person uh, leading that success. And, and I don't think he can probably have any complaints. Yeah, Leeds fans won't look back on those transfers with too much fondness if they go down, George. So those are our matches to keep an eye on this weekend. In terms of the full Premier League weekend, though, it looks something like this. Kicking things off at 12.30 on Saturday is Manchester City's trip to Leicester. Then there's five 3pm kickoffs on Saturday. Newcastle v Villa, Tottenham head to Bournemouth. As we've mentioned, Graham Potter takes Chelsea to Brighton. There's Crystal Palace against Southampton and Brentford against Wolves. At 5.30pm on Saturday, it's Fulham v Everton and following that, it's that 7.45 game, Liverpool against Leeds. And as for Sunday, at 2 o'clock, we have Arsenal against Forest before Manchester United versus West Ham at 4.30pm. Anything any of you want to mention about the games that we haven't discussed? Brentford Wolves, I think, is a big game for me, I think. Tim, I don't know what your your thoughts are on that. Cool, are we, are we, are we done, are we? Is that, is that <laughs> <Yeah. it? laughs> Brentford are good at home, Tim. You'll be pleased to hear. Brentford pretty good at home. 
got no interest in talking about. I've honestly been talking about it all week. I've actually had enough. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll talk about Spurs. Spurs were in a real spot of bother, actually. They had a couple of like efficient wins against Brighton and Everton, and, and that was their best start to Premier League season, believe it or not. It really hasn't felt like it. But in the last week, they lost to Man United, where they were atrocious. They lost to Newcastle at home. They were so close to beating Sporting. I don't know if you've seen the, the offside goal that wasn't yeah, given in the 96th minute. But the first half, I mean, they were just absolutely appalling. Rotten, I thought, they're, the first they're, half. They are playing like a pre-season friendly. You know, I think they're struggling. You know, I, I, I question how much they're enjoying playing for Antonio Conte at the moment. And some of them look a bit knackered. I was I was, I was looking at the stats. Kane and Dyer have played 99% of all minutes in, in all competitions this season. So Conte's trying to rotate his squad. It's not good enough to rotate. And then you've got Kane, Dyer, Hoiberg, Bentancourt, Son and Lloris, who pretty much have to play every week and they and, and it looks like it at the moment. So they're sort of um they're sort of trying to scrape through games and scrape through to the World Cup, but then I think they've they've got one of the highest percentages of um players going to the World Cup in terms of their squad. So, you know, I think we all agree they did good business in the summer, but but I don't think they did enough of it and it's sort of coming back to bite them a little bit at the moment. I know they're still third somehow, but it's not gonna last much longer the the, the way that they're playing. No, they got their business done very early as well, didn't they, Spurs? We all looked at them and thought they were they were operating really well, which they did. I think they made made some great signs. I think you're right, they're, they're probably missing just a, a touch of creativity from their transfer business that they did in the summer. Maybe they'll rectify that in January. I don't know. Before we go, it's time for the six-score challenge. Steve, it's over to you. How did we do last week? Uh, not great, no. but there's always this week. And the million pound is still up for grabs for a for a single winner. So hopefully it can it can be us. So I did well. Though. I remember to I remember to put it on. Yeah, so I did well. Hopefully, did my bit. Hopefully, taking notes to to get these down. So it's it's three correct for a five, four correct fifty pound, five a grand, and as I mentioned, all six correct for a for a million pound for one single winner, free to play. I'm going to start with you, Dan. Brighton, Chelsea. Uh, three one to Chelsea. Okay, and uh, Newcastle and a resurgent Aston Villa. One one. Okay, George Fulham Everton. Um, one nil to Fulham. Okay, and Liverpool Leeds. Cool. Two nil Liverpool. Okay, uh, Tim, Arsenal Forest. Three uh, one Arsenal. And finally, Manchester United West Ham. Uh, one all. Okay then. Maybe all six. I'll be round on your doorstep with a big million pound check uh, in the week. Please make sure you send those over to me, Steve, because even though you asked me to, I did not write anything down whilst that was going on. <laughs> so thanks to the guys for joining me today. That is it from us here at the Weekend Preview. Mark Chapman's going to be back on Monday with reactions to the weekend's big stories and more. Enjoy all the football at the weekend and thanks ever so much for listening. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.